Tuesday, the 15th of June. I'm Randy Couray. This is What's Up the Sports Podcast. We are live via Facebook. If you are downloading today's episode via your favorite podcatcher, thank you so much for the download. As a big sports fan, I, for one, grew up in a large family that didn't have an affection for soccer. As I became more introduced to the beautiful game, coupled with the emergence of Major League Soccer in North America, soccer is without a doubt one of the top sports in Canada, as well as the United States. Really thrilled to be joined by three guys who are all about the beautiful game, and they are family. First up is uh, Cousin John, who I've uh, shared some memorable uh, matches uh, firsthand in person, not only both MLS Cups, where Toronto FC took part in, but the NHL Centennial Classic at BMO Field as well. We found our way in Vegas for a Sharks golden knights game him and i had about nine million gallons of beer over the years john thank you so much for joining us cheers good to be here uh next is a cousin who ironically enough is known as beer man to us his backyard oasis is the perfect venue to catch the big match also his superb golf game pisses me off a little bit we have cousin renee olson here renee thank you so much for joining me thank you for having me and last and certainly not least, uh, well, uh, first things first is that John, Renee, and myself, uh, we can be considered the in-laws. Our wives are uh, cousins, and our final panelist is, in fact, their cousin. His blood is at Zuri Blue along with CF Montreal, and he knows his fair share of cricket, which I hope is nil pot as part of uh, Team Sri Lanka. Cousin Dan Kashiati is here also. Dan, how's it going? How about yourself? Thanks. Doing great. Doing great. Really looking forward to this, guys. Thank you so much for joining me at What's Up Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. So on today's episode, we will be discussing briefly about the Tokyo Olympics as well uh, as they are going uh, full steam ahead. An NBA All-Star may be seeking out and possibly rewarding a Suns fan who beat up another fan who was cheering the other team. A little CFL and a reunion of sorts with Danny's Montreal Canadiens, that and so much more. So uh, the four of us had discussed of doing an episode for a few weeks and we had developed a lineup. But uh, of course, the uh, big news to take part of Euro 2020 was the medical emergency involving uh, star Danish striker Christian Eriksen. What, cl- what hits uh, close to home for us is that Rene is of Danish lineage. He is a Danish citizen. He has been to national matches for his uh, country of Denmark, even worked at Parken Stadium where the Denmark-Finland uh, first round match took place. Uh, Rene, I don't really know how to transition to a topic of this magnitude, so I just like to offer you the floor 
and uh, ask your thoughts of and uh, afterwards uh, processing what in fact took place uh, involving Erickson and uh, how this incredible story just hit so close to you. Right. Well, uh, sure, Randy, I'll, I'll give you as much insight and, and my personal feelings on it as I, as I can share. Um, of course, this Saturday, like you mentioned, uh, I, the beer tap is flowing in my backyard. Uh, we're allowed to have some people over now to watch the game. I have a few local Danish friends and, uh, and uh, a fr friend that owns the, the biggest soccer pub here in Guelph. Uh, who was glad to have opened this weekend as well, the Fat Duck. And, uh, but he took some time out because uh, he's a Welsh guy and his team had just played and came over to watch the game and uh, had a few friends back there. And, uh, of course, there's a lot of high expectations for Denmark there, definitely along with, with Italy. Uh, some, of the betting, uh, some of the best betting money is laid on both Italy and, and Denmark in this, in this Euro. Some, some good money has been laid on those teams, I know. Uh, and I would be remiss to say if I hadn't put a few shekels on Denmark myself. So, um, uh, but yeah, I, I follow all the qualifying games as much as I can. It's certainly much easier to watch them now and, um, than it used to be. And, uh, so I had some friends over game was going, you know, Denmark was controlling the game. Uh, I, I, I do have to say I'm, I'm not a big fan of when players uh, dive and fall over. And, uh, and I will, will guiltily say that when Erickson went down initially and I saw it from the distance, I thought maybe he just was pretending he got nudged in the back of it. And I yelled, get up, Christian, because that's not really his style. Uh, and then you could see almost right away him laying there motionless with his eyes wide open and, and uh I got to say, I'm usually not a guy that is without words. And, and, uh, I was pretty speechless for, for quite a while. Um, I was pretty freaked out to be honest with you. And, uh, I'd be lying if I didn't say that as soon as I knew the severity of it, um, me and my friends that were watching the game together, uh, you know, I said to him, I, he's, he's dead. Like that was the first instinct. And, uh, and then, of course, you, you just saw them trying to revive them and and the defib brought brought out. And um, I, I certainly thought the worst. Um, my wife wasn't home at the time and came home before we knew anything other than he had been stretchered off. And and uh, my wife walked in the backyard to say hello to everybody. And I went and greeted her and, and she looked at me instantly and just said, what's wrong? She could just tell with the look on my face that. She goes, you look like you're in shock. And I said, well, I think Christian Erickson may have died on the field. And, and even when they, when they had stretchered him off and the blankets were up, I, I, I still did not at that moment feel, feel confident that he was alive. And I, I certainly did fear the worst and certainly uh, shed a few tears in that, like it hit pretty hard, pretty hard to home, you know, you had mentioned that I worked at the soccer stadium over there. My cousin, who is the director of operations, we had, we'd been talking a lot leading up to the game this week and communicating. And I had actually put in my request. I had asked him to send me a uh, Christian Erickson and Schmeichel Jersey as I couldn't get them over here. And uh, I phoned him uh, while the medical emergency was happening and, and, uh, and just, you know, to get his vibe and his feeling over there. And he, I think we were all just in shock. And 
I got to just say, thank God that he's alive and, uh, and echo so many of the sentiments that all the soccer community has shared on Facebook with posting what they've posted about Kesper Schmeichel and, and Simeon Kiar, uh, our captain, like just the way that that whole situation unfolded and was reacted to in the most extremely professional manner. And I think, I think just Denmark as a people, uh, I think this is the best commentary I can make. Uh, Denmark as a people are known to be the happiest people in the world. It's one of the best countries in the world to live in. And I think all of Denmark could be proud of, of the way that our team handled that moment. Uh, and just, you know, as terrible a moment as it was, there was a lot of just great humanity in it and uh, that supersedes the game. So I think that's, that's really what I take from it. And like, I'm just so proud to be a Danish guy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah. And uh, the composure that they had, and you mentioned Kiar uh, and uh, I think it was Michael who uh, brought uh, Erickson's partner and was trying to be that person of strength uh, as the uh, situation was going down. And uh, you know, uh, it takes uh, uh, that takes a lot of strength, especially for something that uh, was so unexpected. And uh you know, uh, well, one thing I uh, was kind of curious about, Renee, is that uh, this was against uh, Finland, uh, yeah. you know, Scandinavian. And I could imagine that uh, there is uh, quite a, a rivalry, uh, not only in terms of sports, but in terms of perhaps uh, a lot more uh, being right. uh, so, such a geographic um, and uh, such a what I assume is a very close relationship for a number of things. And it seemed that... Uh, the Finnish team uh, had a level of uh, composure as well. And this was their first uh, Euro match in their uh, Federation's history. Yeah. Uh, how would you describe the, uh, the rivalry, whether it's soccer, hockey, uh, else, uh, and uh, other things, uh, the, the, the level of competition, not only between uh, Finland, but the rest of Scandinavia. Yeah, so I would say like, you know, if, if Denmark has an arch rival in, in Scandinavia, it would be Sweden. And I would say uh, like that's not just for for soccer and for sport. Like, you know, uh, I'm from from a border community, like bordered by, uh, you know, a short ferry ride over or, uh, a ride over the bridge into into Sweden. Um, and the rivalries more with Sweden, I, the Danes don't overly like Swedes and the Swedes don't overly like Danes. Uh, I, I don't think that that's so true with, with the rest of Scandinavia, with Iceland and Norway and Finland. Uh, I think Denmark, because they're starting to get, um, you know, they're starting to produce some stronger hockey players that we're starting to, you know, maybe uh, obviously geographically would play the most against Sweden and Finland. Uh, but I, I don't know, it just, it didn't seem like as soon as that moment hit, there was no sense of, of rivalry. I think everybody, it was just about humanity and community. And I think the Finns have to be totally commended uh, the way that they handled it. Like I, I get, there's just no sense of that in this moment for me at all. It was just a very human moment, I think from, from every aspect. 
John, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I seem to recall a Toronto FC Academy player having to retire in his late teens or early 20s because of a heart issue. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you could only imagine what kind of uh, testing and uh, medical testing that these athletes have to go to, whether it be soccer or any sort of uh, athletic competition. And this happened on perhaps one of the grandest stage of all. And if Christian Erickson was playing pickup with his friends, you could only imagine that the result wouldn't be the same, would be a lot different. Uh what do you think in terms of the safety of players? I mean, you know, in my opinion, this happened once every few years, but to me, it's one time too many. Well, in the, in the case of the Academy player, I mean, he was, <clears throat> they caught it during the physical. So it was something that they caught uh, in Erickson's um, situation. They don't know what it is, right? Cause these guys go through their pretty, preseason every every season they go through the the preseason physicals and whatnot right so i mean we're still looking for answers but we hear stories all the time of uh athletes at the top of their game that collapse in on the field or collapse on the tennis court i'm there was um a friend of mine when we were growing up um her brother had it happen to him he was a tennis player and he just collapsed and his father was a doctor so i mean i i don't know if there's an answer to that i mean uh keeping up with the regular checks and that kind of thing is, is probably as good as we can do. Obviously uh, with the um, local sports arenas now in, in the case of the world cup, you have ambulances standing by, standing by in Euro, you have the ambulances standing by, you have paramedics there, you have doctors there, but <clears throat> like a peewee hockey game in the middle of Mississauga, you're not going to have that kind of thing. Right. But they do have defibrillators at the, at the arenas now, which is fantastic for just such an occasion. I mean, this is, this is where we're, we're, we have been going to anyway. So, I mean, as long as we try to keep on top of the physicals and, and make sure everybody's okay, I think that's, as, that's as good as we're going to get. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps, uh, you know, yeah, immediately I, for one, remember of, uh, a Cameroon player who was playing a friendly against France and he collapsed and died. And, uh, um, you know, just reminded me. And there was a couple of instances of, uh, I think, a young guy from, I believe, a Portuguese uh, domestic league, uh, the same same thing. Uh, but uh, Dan, you know, this obviously is such a such a foreign uh, occurrence that had taken place. And uh, uh, thankfully, Erickson uh, was uh, revived, uh, you know, moments after uh, CPR was performed, amongst other things. There was a question of whether this game should have continued and reports did say that Erickson had uh, spoken to his teammates uh, during the delay uh, when the, the two teams were off uh, and said to have uh, played. Uh, what do you think that the, the game should have uh, continued? Yeah, I do. Um, as long as everyone is OK. And both sides, uh, both teams were agreed to play. I don't have an issue with uh, them continuing the game. I mean, if they had postponed it and played the second half on a different day, I mean, the logistics would have been a nightmare. Thankfully, it looks like the outcome is, is going to stay positive, and that's great. I mean, if it had gone the other way, it would have probably been a different story. But I mean, uh, 
it, it, I think it set Denmark at a disadvantage because their emotions were right through the roof when that happened. You saw players crying on the field. Uh, coaches were, you know, obviously worried. It, it, it takes them out of the game. And, then and, and, you know, it's difficult to say. I mean, I, yes, the game should have continued. I mean, for Denmark, they put themselves at disadvantage to continue playing that day. That, that's what I feel. Yeah. Well, uh, guys, I mean, hey, it's been uh, uh, quite a start to the Euro tournament. And it's uh, uh, if you want to tie it into the last uh, 15 months, it's just another reminder uh, to take each day as an uh, opportunity. And uh, yeah, thankfully, Christian Eriksen is appears to be uh, doing OK. And uh, more importantly, that uh, he uh, does seem to uh, well, will be making a full recovery. So. Uh, in the end, that seems to be the most important part. So uh, to that, guys, uh, we are here to uh, discuss a little footy. And uh, the European Championships is uh, something that is obviously uh, uh, viewed all across the world uh, in terms of its importance, in terms of its level of competition. And uh, Dan, uh, as uh, somebody who is following Azzurri Blue, uh, Italy, of course, has an uh, incredible World Cup history. Uh, they did win Euro back in 1968, uh, but uh, they have, uh, other than making uh, a finals appearance, uh, they haven't won Euro uh, in over 50 years. Uh, what does winning a European championship mean, will mean, could mean for the Italian national side? Well, it'll bring back a, a sense of pride. Um, Calcio is sport in Italy. Soccer is sport. I mean, it, the word's interchangeable. So when your identity is based on soccer, on sport, I mean, to achieve uh, the winning the Euro, it would, it would solidify Italy's place in the world when it comes to culture. It's, it's, a, it's an important thing for, for, the, for the sense of uh, the, the country moving forward after this pandemic. I think it gives us a, a focal point where they can have, feel pride. And uh, it's just, it's almost too big to, to put into words. I mean, as a Canadian, you could say, oh, you know, maybe uh, the Canada Cup or uh, the World Series of Hockey, but I mean, it, it's not the same thing. I mean, and, you know, top to bottom, everyone is a soccer expert in Italy. You know, if you start at you know, two years old until, until you get to hit the grave, it's like, you know, it's your life, right? You, you follow the, your team and you, you follow your country. And so to be able to win, I mean, uh, I, we feel right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, so uh, as I mentioned in the beginning, I... Uh, uh, started dating uh, Dan's cousin the year after Italy won World Cup 2006. And ironically enough, I was in Little Italy here in Toronto when uh, that final match uh, took place against France, when the penalties took place. And uh, I can only imagine the insanity uh, within uh, my wife and her family and uh, it, when uh, uh, Italy uh, won, uh, won World Cup uh, 2006. Uh, uh, back to Euro, though, and uh, Renee, uh, 
obviously, uh, Euro uh, has just uh, gained so much popularity over the past uh, 10, 15 years, uh, dare I say, especially here in North America. But Denmark experienced an incredible Cinderella story in 1992. Uh, in fact, they were a last minute substitution for Yugoslavia. And uh, yeah. for somebody who wasn't a, a big soccer fan uh, in those days, it just seems like this is uh, made for the movies. Uh, for those who aren't aware of what happened, describe what happened in 1992 and how Denmark, a team who was once eliminated to first take part in this competition, end up winning Euro. Yeah, it really is. It, it is a Cinderella crazy story. Uh, you couldn't write it. They go. Oh, sorry, uh, Renee, uh, I'm having and, a little... Oh, here we go. Yeah, sorry. Uh, sorry, Renee, I lost you there for a second. Did you lose me there, Randy? Or uh, no, I think we're good. Sorry. Sorry about that, Renee. Yeah. Uh, the the joy, the joy of technology. It's great to see. Yeah, uh... yeah. <laughs> Please, sorry, so, go ahead. So just to put it in perspective, the tournament this year has, uh, has been expanded to have 24 teams in it, right? And uh, back in Euro 92, it was a, a tournament with eight teams in it. So the only way you got into the Euros was if you won your group. So they had, uh, they had uh, eight qualifying groups and you had to win your group to get in. And so Denmark uh, was a second place group in a group that was won by Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia had a civil war and 10 days before the tournament, they ousted them. And so the, the Danish team, uh, many of them actually on like vacationing together. Some of them were in the Canary Islands, uh, like they were vacation, they were on the beach. And some players, that's the way they found out together a bunch of them as teammates. I think a number of them were together. And uh, they said, you're in, Yugoslavia is out, you're in. Now, I think, you know, that was on the radar. So I don't think it was a complete shock to the Danish football federation or, uh, or the players, but it was, it was on their radar. So anyways, 10 days later, they find out, they all get called back, uh, to, a, a, a quick training camp. Um, the, the very best player for Denmark was one of the best players in the world at that time. Michael Laudrup played for, you know, played for some great club teams. Uh, he didn't get on with the coach at all. And so, our best player actually said no. So he, did, he didn't even go. But his brother, Brian Laudrup, did. And, uh, you know, the coach called them in. And, and basically the speech was, guys, we got nothing to lose. We can go and play all three of our group games and lose 5 nothing, And we're, we still got the play. And you got the play in the Euros. So they lost. They, uh, they drew their first game uh, with England. Um, in the group stage, second, uh, second game was their arch rival Sweden, which they lost to Sweden was the host, uh, Sweden won one nil. And then, uh, miraculously we, we beat France in the third game to, to sneak in to the semifinals, um, played the Dutch in this, in the semifinals, uh, went in penalties. We, we, Schmeichel made a, a great save diving to his uh, bottom left. And uh, we scored all five of our goals and got, and got to the finals. 
Uh, I think one of the one of the best stories I heard from one of the players was uh, was uh, Brian Laudrup was saying that uh, one of the German players who he's uh, was friends from uh, his club team with uh, basically reached out to him before the game, kind of to wish him well, but said, "Hey, let's switch jerseys after the game." Laudrup went on to say, "You know, the guy was just talking like it was a foregone conclusion that Germany was going to win." And, and he went on to say that, you know, a lot of the Dutch players in the tunnel leading out to that game, like, were almost giving Denmark their condolences before right. the game, <laughs> before the game started, uh, which is why it's the beautiful game. And, and uh, anybody can win a game, of, can win a game of football. So, uh, and we beat Germany in the final, like, it's, it's too unbelievable to be true yet it is yeah you and know so uh, just sorry. amazing and yeah amazing and story. and uh you know uh, as mentioned like i i personally only uh, started to get into soccer you know at a very minor level uh, during world cup 94 and when uh, ea sports had the uh, great fifa 94 video game but uh, i do remember cameroon 1990 like uh, you think of iceland uh, when they were came out of nowhere to do so well in uh, Euro 2016 and Leicester City in terms of a domestic league uh, sense where they came out of nowhere to win the uh, Premier League. Uh, Denmark won Euro at a time where it wasn't on the radar here, especially in Canada. If it was 2021, where they were the uh, last minute substitution, do you think that... uh, you know, Denmark would have been a sentimental favorite going forward because look, I mean, John himself has an Iceland soccer jersey on. <laughs> oh, what a I, for them, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, and uh, I mean, hey, just uh, think of uh, any time uh, uh, a club team or a team out of nowhere uh, wins uh, a championship. I mean, hey, as a Raptors fan, you know, the Raptors did have. Uh, that guy Kawhi Leonard, but you know they were strangers compared in the NBA Finals. They won the championships, and I got uh, calls from Australia from my cousins, like, "Hey, you guys won uh, the NBA championship." I was like, "Wow, it, it really affect it touched so many people." And uh, you know, you could only imagine uh, how uh, how uh, much uh, Denmark would have been on the uh, minds of many people who, uh, especially these days, uh, following uh, soccer, if it happened. Yeah. For sure. Ago. I mean, the, the, the whole social media aspect of it, I think, I think Denmark would have garnered as much attention as, as, you know, like you said, John's wearing the Iceland Jersey. I think it, you know, it, I, I don't think it's too dissimilar other than Denmark's a country of 5 million and Iceland's a country of 300,000. Like, I mean, both, both stories, the, the they're, it's just too good to be true. And that's why you gotta love sports. That's yeah. Yeah, for sure. John, I, I consider uh, our path to being soccer fans uh, are somewhat similar. Uh, you had mentioned uh, before that uh, you really weren't into soccer. And then once you and I both married Italian women, things started to change. And, uh, you know, obviously with uh, uh, MLS and Toronto FC uh, coming into the uh, fold. And uh, if I remember correctly, I thought I heard you uh, saying that you were watching 
Uruguayan third division soccer. And I think you were talking to it with John and I'm like, uh, sorry, with Dan. And I'm like, okay, I like soccer a lot, but you are way too intense. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, 20, uh, if this was 20, 25 years ago, uh, how would you, com- like, w- would you be surprised to see the growth of soccer, especially how it is today from where it was two, de- two three decades ago? Well, okay, so growing up, a lot of my friends played soccer on, on rec teams. I mean, in the summer, you always saw them with their cleats and their, their shin pads off to soccer. They, they'd be going off and they couldn't play hide and seek because they had to play their soccer games. And this is like, you know, when they're six, seven years old, 10, 11 years old goes on, you know, and then they start dropping off. And then I hardly knew anybody that played hockey. Like everybody, everybody I knew played soccer, but only until like 12 years old. After 12 years old, there seemed to be a gap. And then you'd pick it up again when you were older and you'd play like beer leagues and that kind of stuff. But so like seeing it now, I I am kind of surprised, but I I think it's about time because really it's the most accessible sport. All you need is a ball, a ball and a pair of shoes. You don't need boots. You don't need cleats. All you need is a ball. You can make a net out of, you know, a a goal post. You can put two, two, uh, uh, what do you call it, coats down. <clears throat> we've all done it in, in, in grade school growing up. We all put the the nets down, the the, the uh, coats down from the net. So realistically, I mean, there, there, there shouldn't have been this gap uh, that we're starting to fill now. And if you look at the uh, the reasons why we're starting, like finally Toronto FC, Toronto, Toronto finally has a, has a uh, successful uh, soccer franchise. Um, like Montreal's had one for a lot longer than we have. Sorry, Dan. Wow, and that <laughs> must have taken a lot out of you because, <laughs> because <laughs> I got to give that I got to give that one to Dan. But I mean, you know, like, like realistically, they they do have the the history. We were new. We we started the blizzard a number of times. Uh, we tried many different times to get something going, but the market in Toronto was such that if you're not playing at the very highest level, you can. If your if your team isn't in the very high, highest level of of the league that it can be then they're not going to follow, right? So if you have like a USL team, they're going to, oh, well, there's MLS. It's, it's, it's a higher league. So they're not going to follow the USL team. So once we got an MLS team, which is like the highest North American league, sure, then there's success. So in part, it's, it's due to the fact that Toronto FC is, is in, in, in existence, but it's also the, the accessibility of the games. I mean, with the amount you can get them anywhere you get like I can watch soccer at any time during the day like especially with uh, platforms like one soccer and uh be in sports I mean like turn on the, the on the tv like they're premium channels yeah but you know like in the case of BN, but you can watch a soccer game anytime and uh like one one soccer does all the um Canadian national teams now and that that's fantastic I mean no one wanted them they stepped up so uh, you get the, the uh, visibility there. And um, a lot of the, uh, the newer generation is going away from, they don't sit and watch a cable channel. They don't, they don't tune the TV over to a, a channel, right? They watch it on their phone, they watch it on a tablet or something. So they need something that's gonna be in that, in that streaming kind of platform. So while I am kind of a little bit surprised, I'm actually 
I, I figure it, it's taken long enough and, and we're at the point now where there's no excuse. We, sh we should, it, it should be where it is. It should be as popular as it is, especially with the multicultural situation that, that, that Canada is in. I mean, like we have people from all over the world and, and the world's most popular sport is soccer, right? So, I mean, like, why wouldn't it be popular here? It, it should have been a long time coming. Yeah, I guess uh, that platform is uh, such where, you know, uh, you need to have a domestic product. And I personally think Toronto FC is, uh, quite frankly, the main reason why uh, soccer is, uh, well, and obviously uh, Montreal, Vancouver, just MLS in general, uh, is the reason why soccer is where it is today. I mean, like, with due respect to Manchester United and Bayern and all these uh, incredible clubs in Europe, I mean, they're over there. We can't see them live and in person unless they're playing a friendly where they're probably playing all their uh, substitutions. And uh, I mean, you know, it would be interesting to see uh, if uh, MLS didn't take place, where would uh, Euro be, uh, you know, uh, in uh, a country like Canada? But I, I think Major League Soccer has definitely piqued a, a lot more interest uh, but, uh, you know, was someone going to say something? Yeah, so I, I think you'd still see, like, the World Cup and Euro. That would still be big because it was big when I was a kid, too. I mean, World mm -hmm. Cup came around. It was still it was still huge. Like, when Italy won um, in the 80s, 84, I want to say. 80s, anyway, wherever it was, uh, it was huge. 82, thank you. So uh, it was huge. I mean, <laughs> was that Sonia? <laughs> no, no, no. It was Dan. Oh, sorry. I didn't hear Dan. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, he just. <laughs> so when uh, when when Italy won, one of our one of our our friends' fathers spray painted his little Honda Civic. Italy the the flag colors. He got three cans of spray paint. He probably was a little bit of wine involved in the in the situation, but he spray painted his car in in the colors. So I mean. I guess it depends on on where you lived and the neighborhood you lived in, depending on what your what the uh, the mix was European wise, how big it was. So if you're in the tournament, then you know you're you it was uh, popular and you saw it. But you know, if not, maybe not. Hey, Randy, I am I, sorry. I was just going to say I think we'd maybe be uh, remiss in in also not recognizing like you know the sheer popularity uh over the last uh um i'm gonna say well it goes back to the world cup with uh brandy chastain but uh, with the sheer um exposure of the women's uh, the success of both women's programs in north america which have far exceeded the success of the men's programs i think i think it's not just the mls growth that has brought the notoriety uh, to, to soccer and brought soccer to such a higher level in North America. It's the fact that so many young women, because there's just as many young women getting signed up to play soccer as there is as is young boys. And uh, I, I think just the, the sheer fact that both Canada and the US are essentially superpowers in the female game and and uh, you know, in North in, in the U.S., they you know they fought to get the equal pay in the in the women's uh, 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 for the World Cup, like those that represent the the national team, um, the fair pay to the men, and rightfully so, 
because that woman's program actually generates more revenue in the US than the men's program does. So I, I think uh, the fact that they're, they're just so competitive and are perennial like favorites uh, in those tournaments in the in the World Cup, you know, they're the top 10, top 10 nations in the top 10 nations. So I think that's a big, uh, also a, a big point of consideration. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I think where uh, the women's game does fall is a, dom a domestic and club uh, club football. And uh, the fact is, is that Christine Sinclair, obviously, she uh, is the most prolific goal scorer in uh, soccer history for uh, for the national team uh, and uh, for uh, for women's uh, soccer uh, period. Uh, but it I, I think uh, especially for a guy like me uh, it's that and uh, World Cup of uh, women's World Cup of uh, soccer is fantastic football. I mean, hey, uh, take a look at a women's match. They don't dive as much as the guys. Having said that, uh, it's something that is really peaks high every four years. And right. then where is that in between? Right. And I think, and obviously I, like, I don't know the specifics of the, uh, the equal pay and, you know, you think of uh, USA soccer, you think of hope solo, you think of uh, Mia ham, you think of uh, Alex Morgan and so on. And they're probably at the top of the lit, uh, list before Altador, Michael Bradley, uh, Pulisic, and so on. But there's just such a huge gap, you know, where they need a, uh, a domestic league, and whether it starts in Europe or North America, uh, and it seems like it's picking up steam. Like, you're, you are seeing more exposure. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, the, the domestic league in the, in the U.S. Is getting, is getting pretty big as well. And the European one, I mean, I'm seeing a lot more exposure, and it's also due to like Twitter and, and Facebook, social media. I mean, it, it's out there, right? It's accessible. So the the you know 12 year old girl sitting in her bedroom, throwing uh, scrolling through Instagram, can see something like that and say, "Hey, I can do this. This is what I can do." Right. So, I mean, whereas the opportunities may have been there, but just not readily available to for them to find out. Now you can. Right. What we need is a domestic league in Canada too, though. We we need a, a top tier domestic league in Canada. We do have League One Ontario, and everybody every province has their own little uh, little niche. But I think we need a domestic league that's national that, that we can compete on the same kind of level. Bring our players back home, the ones that are all playing in Europe and and whatnot. Uh, Danny, this is a question that uh, really didn't prepare you with, but I'd love to hear your thoughts with regards to. Uh, let's say that uh, a women's league uh, does uh, develop more. Well, there is one uh, already. Uh, in terms of Montreal and in uh, the province of Quebec, that uh, you and I have had discussions uh, over the years, uh, especially uh, your incredible family, your brother Rob and uh, sister-in-law and so on. And we, uh, you mentioned that uh, uh, CF Montreal doesn't really have uh, like a full house other than Toronto FC and the big matches and so on in terms of uh, like uh, soccer infrastructure, in terms of a women's uh, team, uh, perhaps uh, uh, being um, uh, uh, like uh, if uh, Montreal was awarded a franchise, do you think it could fly over there? I'm thinking that Toronto could do pretty well. I think uh, initially it'd be a hard sell. To get uh, a women's team off the ground in Montreal, 
Um, not not because of quality of play. I mean, I'm just saying that it's it's difficult enough to get uh, attention in the sports media in in Montreal and Quebec when it's not hockey, like any other sport other than hockey, just to get coverage. It's it's almost non-existent. I mean, uh, even even the impact play on TBA, they're not on RD, they're not on TSN for the most part. So you don't have the reporters covering uh, the CF Montreal. Uh, and to have that filtered onto a women's game, and again, not because of quality of play, it just people's attention spans are too small right now. If they win, and, and then, you know, much like Toronto, uh, winners beat <laughs> fans, right? If you have five, if you win, you get fans. If they win, yes, you can get off the side and you know, you, you'll, you'll have a following, but is it, you know, how long is it going to last? And, you know, the women's league for, for a national women's league, I, I think it's on the agenda for uh, CanPL, or if the rumors could be believed eventually and that'd be great i mean uh more more people playing the sport the more popular it becomes and that's fantastic um do i see it happening soon no do i see it happening eventually yeah it will uh but there are a lot of quality leagues in the it's at the nwsl is in the states uh they're they're i think they're on cbs and i think the end of last season they carried a a few games on the national network. And they had good ratings. I mean, comparable to MLS games. And that's that's great. I mean, uh, but, you know, you have Canadians playing in Europe. You have Canadians playing in France and in England, which is which is fantastic. And personally, I, 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 I always love when I see uh, Canadians playing abroad. So it's the best thing in the world. I love it. I love when they go out and get experience playing in other European leagues. And if that helps the women's game in Canada. It helps us become a better, uh, a, a world power. That's great. I mean, look, listen, how many, how many people know that Canada played the Czech Republic yesterday at three o'clock in the afternoon? You right. Know? right. It was on, it was on, okay, it's on one soccer, but I mean, which is not, uh, all the power to them. I, I have a subscription. I watched the game. Uh, no, I didn't watch the game. I was working. <laughs> so, <laughs> so i mean the game was on and you know and what were the ratings you know nobody took the afternoon off to watch it but uh you know come come to the east end of montreal and everyone's gonna be watching italy play the next game regardless of what time they're playing right no everybody's calling in sick everybody's got that disappointment do you see that for the women's game no you don't yet well, and you know, you bring up a good point because, and uh, John alluded to it uh, before, and that uh, you know these uh, big matches, national matches, and Concacaf matches are on internet subscription, uh, and uh, you know these premium channels and so on. And a guy like me, like, listen, I love soccer, but it's like, you know, how many like is it worth spending? X amount of dollars a month to watch one match? And John is saying yes. Please uh, elaborate. <laughs> Uh, I mean, realistically, I mean, the uh, it's the only place you can get it. And and the thing is that the, the networks didn't bid on it. So no. what, what are you going to do? You got to you got to go with the one soccers. But at no, the end of actually, the day, sorry. sorry, go ahead. Dan. Sorry. Oh, I was say, thankfully, someone stepped up and, and bought the rights. Exactly. Thankfully. Yeah. 
I'm tired. I was tired of watching the the games on these jinky little illegal streams. Yeah, no, exactly. But at the end of the day, this is how we're going to be consuming media ten years from now. So you're not gonna you're not gonna have your uh, your TV channels anymore. It, it that's a thing of the past. We have to embrace our new digital overlords. Well, I mean, how do you know, John? I mean, it's not like you work in the satellite uh, television industry. Or <clears throat> no, I do not. Uh, so. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, and uh, uh, obviously, uh, it, it definitely does uh, seem to be getting to that point. And is uh, can- uh, Canada soccer uh, thinking outside the box and thinking uh, that far ahead? Perhaps, but uh, uh, maybe I'm just too much of a traditionalist, and you know, I still need to get junk like this that you see behind you the washington bullets oh. nba banner behind me it's not that you can you can keep doing that just give up your you know weekly mcdonald's that's all you got to do that's a good point one mcdonald's meal a mo- uh, will pay for your one subscription one soccer subscription one one big mac meal big macs are pretty good i'm not gonna lie but yeah you're right i mean like, <laughs> hey, I one soccer one soccer is 80 bucks for the yeah, year for the, the year, year. For the year, eighty bucks. Honest to God, and, and if, if you watch soccer in Canada and you want to watch the Gold Cup this year and you want to watch Canada play Haiti in fifteen minutes from now, well, you're gonna you get yourself the one soccer subscription. And the the quality. Uh, by I the mean, way, I got the game on. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Hey, hey enjoy. Uh, let us know if uh, Canada scores. All right. No, the I mean the quality is the quality is excellent and the commentators are good. You know, it's it's a. Uh, it, it, it's it's good soccer discussion that's the thing it's it's good quality well, well to that guys and uh you know we could definitely see uh pretty much every match uh out there whether it be uh traditional television or internet subscription but of course it's been a while since a, a legitimate soccer match has been played in this country since the pandemic of course uh CF Montreal has uh, not been playing in Montreal since, oh, in over a year. Same with Toronto. Same with Vancouver. Um, and uh, obviously, this uh, European Championships uh, were supposed to take place last year, but because of the coronavirus pandemic, uh, things got delayed. Uh, Dan, to you first, uh, how excited were you to see Euro compared to other years where you know there were no pandemics there were no uh isolation physical distancing wasn't a thing i when uh euro got uh, postponed leading up the weeks before uh to the european championships did it feel the same to you uh when it got postponed last year i said yeah that, that sounds like the right decision i mean that's fine there were there were bigger things to deal with uh, to see it being played this year, that's cool. I mean, uh, and it's kind of weird. It's it's a little less important for me this year than it would have been last year. If it had, if if there was no pandemic and and they went ahead and they had twenty twenty, it's you know you, you kind of get a different perspective on life nowadays, right? You know, work from home, uh, it's become uh, the norm, and uh, you know everyone stay home and you don't go out and. It's not as important. It's fun. I mean, I'll watch. I'll definitely watch games. I watched plenty of games, and I'll continue to watch it now. But it's not. Maybe it's not as important as it used to be. Right now, maybe because it's the opening round. So we'll wait for the quarters and the semis and see what happens. 
Renee, how about you? I mean, this is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first time that uh, Denmark is hosting a Euro, uh, Euro match. Uh, you know, I mean, a lot has happened over the past 15 months, but uh, with regards to uh, this uh, new format where uh, 11 countries were going to be hosting matches, Denmark being one of them, uh, was it the same sense of excitement uh, from previous years leading up to a, a European championship? Uh, yeah, for, for me, absolutely. Uh, especially as a, as a Danish person and as a fan of the Danish team, uh, for sure it was. I, I was just as excited. I was bummed that it didn't happen last year. I agree. I, I echo. Um, Sorry. Uh, yeah. Okay. We're sorry, uh, guys. Are you able to uh, catch uh, John, uh, Renee as well, or no? No. Renee, Renee dropped out there. Oh, I dropped out. I apologize. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Uh, sorry. So super stoked. Um, I was really excited for it to come around. Um, being a, a fan of the Danish team. I mean, we're not always there. So, right. So the fact that we were in, and the fact that we were hosting. Uh, was a big deal one of my uh, you know as, as you we talked about earlier I I worked in that stadium for three months I cut the grass like I worked on that pitch so like it, for me it was just super exciting to see that stadium that I'm familiar with uh, it was one of the my big kind of I don't want to say fears but I would have been really bummed if Denmark because of the pandemic and making adjustments or maybe one of the places that they moved it out of just logistically to make it and I would have got it, but I still would have been bummed about it. So uh, just as excited as I have been for any other tournament for sure. Yeah. And uh, I mean, John, uh, you know, we have seen uh, the Euro championships uh, being held in uh, multiple uh, countries, uh, world cup as well, 2002, Japan, Korea had uh uh, matches uh, in uh, their respective countries. Uh, this was the uh, this was planned that eleven countries were going to host uh, the championships uh, before the pandemic uh, began. Do you like this format where an Azerbaijan is hosting matches and a Bucharest Romania and Copenhagen and uh, it's spread out the way that it has? I. It... <clears throat> I think it would matter more to me if I was in one of the countries. I mean, being watching from afar, it really doesn't make a difference because I'm watching the game. I don't get a sense of, uh, of being there. Um, when we had the Women's World Cup here in Toronto, it was pretty cool because we were able to see a lot of the games. We had a lot of the, 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 uh, the opportunities to see the games. Um, you go to the hotel downtown, you could uh, meet the players, that kind of stuff of all the teams. So that could be possibly uh what what they're missing like the the people that that would be in in the host country or the host countries the two or three but then it gets to a point like with the world cup in uh that usa and mexico and, and canada is going to host i mean at what point how many city how many countries are too much you know mm -hmm. in our situation the north american situation it it makes sense because we the the bigger stadiums i mean we don't have to build 17 huge stadiums in, in Canada in order to host the World Cup, you know, you can spread it out.
but it, and it's in this situation because of the I guess the the milestone too. I mean, it, it kind of makes sense. This guy is celebrating Europe as a whole, and Europe's not as big, so the the travel time I mean between countries and that kind of thing isn't isn't really that big of a difference. So, yeah. yeah. Sorry, God. Sorry to finish. Yeah, the answer I guess is it, it it's pretty cool. Um, at first, I thought it was it was going to be lame to you know, <laughs> but uh, I don't think I don't think it really uh, affected me that much. I, I think that uh, I think it's pretty cool. I mean, uh, I saw I saw the uh, facility in uh, Baku, and it's like, man, if Canada even had a, a stadium that looked even close to that, I, you know, Primo, come on, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> but I, I mean, you know, I, but John, uh, I remember you and I went to a uh, uh, a footy. Uh, uh, discussion there with a couple of uh, top uh, soccer commentators. And I brought up the fact that, you know, Toronto doesn't need an 80,000 seat stadium. I, I mean, Montreal, I mean, they have a 60, 60,000 plus stadium, uh, you know, uh, which was for the 76 Olympics, but, you know, Toronto FC will not be able to host a uh, 60,000 plus uh, you know, uh, uh, venue for, uh, for their matches. Like, I mean, Montreal, they did have uh, a, a couple of matches, especially in the beginning of uh, MLS seasons. I don't know, Dan, if they still do that where the beginning of each MLS season is in Olympic stadium, but uh, you know, you think of uh, this grandiose facility in Baku and, you know, I, I think about world cup in uh, South Africa and Renee, Dan, I'd love to get your uh, thoughts on, you know, having the World Cup and Euro in non-traditional markets, you know, where uh, it's not always in Germany, it's not always in, um, uh, you know, these traditional grandiose uh, like Euro with the Holland, for example, that it is in uh, places that they don't have to go out of their way to host an event. Any thoughts to that? I mean, I, I guess South Africa was a little bit of a, it's not a, a great example because I could only imagine that they spent like crazy amount of dollars to host uh, that tournament. I mean, I mean, going to places like South Africa or, or even when they, when they were in Korea and Japan, I, it, it, it helps boost the, the, the local game, the game, the, the leagues, the teams in those nations and in that that region i mean uh fifa has a, a policy where they want to play outside the major reg regions at least uh every other world cup and to help grow the game they should continue that policy and that's great and if splitting the the, the world cup or uh or even the, the euro f with different countries to help um and spread the the glory between between cities and and, and countries and the cost and the cost. Yeah. Uh, that's great. I mean, uh, I live in a city where we took thirty years to play off that to pay off that sixty thousand feet seat stadium, and uh, I would have loved to offset some of that cost with some of my neighbors to the west. You know, if that that's what it takes to to, to help host successful games by by including more countries. That's great. I mean, 2026, it's going to be in three different countries. Yeah. The majority of the games are going to be in the States and a handful will be in, in Canada and 
uh, some more more games will be in Mexico than Canada. But uh, you know, anything to help the game would be great. And uh, you know, we got the the Can PL now in, in Canada. Uh, hopefully, they'll launch the third third season probably the end of this month, I think. And then if a World Cup help, helps shine a light on our on our our national team and our national leagues, fantastic. I love it. All the more power. And if it comes at a minimal cost of only having to host eight to ten games, that's great. You know, BMO's getting uh, getting an upgrade to forty five thousand seats uh, for that World Cup. Actually, before before that, and that's that's great. I mean, there's no reason why Toronto can't have a sixty thousand plus stadium. There's no reason at all because listen, Toronto's got what? What's the population? Three, four, five million, whatever the hell it is, right? Well, it depends on who you talk to, but yeah. I do, for, for, honestly, anything in southern Ontario from Toronto, Milton, Burlington, I don't care. It's all Toronto. Yeah, yeah. sure. But, <laughs> GTA. I mean, you could put six, six, what's the population of London? 12, 15 million? How many teams they got there, right? Yeah. On any given Saturday, how many, how many home games have you played in London? And they're all full. Yeah, yeah, I know, but I mean, like, it is such a different mindset, though. It's such a different dynamic where, uh, you know, you take a look at the Blue Jays, for example, the Expos when, uh, you know, because I can only imagine that at some point that the Expos are going to return, that it's not the NFL. It, it, you know, you're not going to get 70,000 people going to a sporting event uh, continuously like they do in Europe when it comes to uh, their domestic leagues and uh, Chelsea and, uh, you know, Manchester United and all these people, you know, Toronto, let's say they even, uh, or Montreal, whoever, if they even get an NFL team, are we supposed to build a $1 billion stadium? So team X can uh, play nine games a year. Yeah. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> So, but I mean, you I, know, I, maybe, I, maybe I they might be able to get it. Sorry, Danny, go ahead. I have a problem with public money being done, being used to, to build these giant stadiums. Yeah. I, 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 you know, again, being from Montreal, my tax dollars should not be built, be, be spent on building a stadium. I'm sorry, just the way it is. But I understand the economics of it. Like, if you build the stadium, right, you will you have construction jobs, and those jobs generate uh, more income, and they'll pay income taxes and they'll go out and they'll buy money and generate sales. I get it, right? And I get it, I, these jobs that come along with building a stadium. I still have a problem with it. I mean, the, the billionaires, uh, owners having a, been given a billion dollar stadium, I got a problem. Anyway. To your the, point. The, in, in Europe, I mean, you, you tell Chelsea and Liverpool and they have these giant crowds and they got a hundred years on the MLS. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where, yeah where's, sure. where's, 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 where are the CF Montreal? Uh, where are the Whitecaps? Uh, and where is TFC going to be in, in, in another generation? All right. Give them a generation. Give them two generations. Have those teams become more ingrained in, in, into uh, the, the, the fabric of what a family is. Like, you know, I don't watch the NFL. I don't. I have a zone membership. I don't watch the NFL. I don't care about it. Right. I watch, right. I watch uh, soccer. Uh, there are a lot of people like me who don't watch football, and uh, the, the the popularity of football beyond the NFL and the, the hype and the hype probably NFL. It's gonna start diminishing. You know, I mean, more, more guys end up like you know with uh, CTE or 
you know, I wouldn't, if I, if I had a, a, a son who wanted to play football, I'll tell him, no, no, you don't play football. Sorry. Well, I mean, you could even say that to hockey as well. I'm sorry. Like, yeah, uh, I, I, I don't, I think that when it comes to brain injuries in hockey, it is no different than football. Yeah, I, I'm sure it's it's underreported. I'm sure it is, but it's underdiagnosed. But I mean, a kid's got a concussion. A player's got a concussion. I'm sorry, I don't want to see a guy on, on John Tavares, for example. I don't want to see it. I don't. I don't want to see it. I'm sorry. It's just the way it is. I mean, I, I know what happens in soccer too, but the full contact sports. I'm, I don't know. Maybe because as I get older, I I I I just don't want to see guys on the field, uh, you know, knocked out. Sorry, not gonna happen. It's not funny anymore. It's not fun to watch the guy get up anymore. And, you know, I don't cheer my team when they knock a guy out because with a big hit. I don't. Uh, you know, right. when Tavares went down, uh, I wasn't. I wasn't happy. You know, and it's, it's just that type of thing. And, and watching the NFL for me, the popularity is gonna diminish. And as the popularity of the NFL diminishes, other sports are gonna increase. And in give it two generations or so, and yeah, that's a you know a long way off. Sure. You're going to have 30,000, 40,000 people in the stadium, 50,000, as long as you're winning, obviously, because if you have, uh, you know, 30 years of futility or 50 plus years of not winning the cup, you know, eventually you're going to, you know, you're going to win Well, way to tie that in, Daddy. Little needle there, right? Do you, uh, do, and, you know, I've thought about this a uh, hundred times, just like any other sports fan. But do you honestly think that the NFL will lose steam even two, even four generations from now? At some point. You think so? Renee, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I think I think moms are smarter. Uh, dads are smarter. And uh, we know too much about concussions and injuries. And uh, there's going to be less and less kids allowed to play. I just think that it's going to, like, I agree with Dan. I don't want to see concussions, you know, like like the Christian Erickson incident. Like, they kept the camera on him way too long. Yeah. It should have been off, like, instantly. Yep. The fact that we were able to see him being, like, chest compressions and the defib, like, I don't want to see it. Go to commercial. I agree. I agree, I agree wholeheartedly with Dan. Like, John Tavares, we shouldn't have been able to see his knees buckle. No, when he tried to get up. Apparent, we're getting yeah. smarter. Yeah, and you know, and I, I'm I was an NFL fan. I'm an NFL fan, but I think it'll diminish. Yeah, because you know, I, I was watching breakfast television here in Toronto uh, the day after the Tavares injury, and they specifically did not show the impact when Tavares hit uh, Perry's leg. Uh, and I thought that was just, I thought it was a changing of the times. And I was really blown away uh, when uh, I was really surprised uh, that uh, uh, the television producers showed Erickson as much as they did. Uh, you know, it's even, uh, and, you know, dare I say it, it, even with regards to real life situations, you think about the, uh, the terrorism issue uh, in London, Ontario, uh, just even naming a uh, suspect, uh, that suspect, that person who I don't want to uh, bring up, you know, just giving that kind of exposure when exposure is not warranted. And like, right. you know, uh, it's just something that I think, I definitely think, forget about two, four generations from now, but the next generation, maybe even five years from now, 
where uh, media will be more, uh, I guess, responsible in terms of what they actually do show their uh, their viewers and their listeners and their readers. But uh, we are completely getting off topic, but this is a fantastic discussion and I am like really, really enjoying this. Uh, you know, in terms of uh, responsibility and so on, guys, um, the Tokyo Olympics are scheduled to go uh, full steam ahead. Uh, and obviously they were, uh, the uh, Olympics were supposed to be held in 2020. It was postponed because of the pandemic. And uh, the IOC is saying that, uh, yeah, they're still going to proceed. John, how about to you? Uh, Do you think that's the right move, especially with the pandemic still going on? Um, I don't know exactly what the situation is in in Tokyo, but we have seen where the bubble works, right? So you keep everybody under the bubble and everybody stays safe. No fans all the athletes are, are kind of, you know, together, they're all uh, isolating from everybody else. It only works if, if like on a smaller scale, the Olympics is, is, is a pretty big scale. So I'm sure there is the possibility that it would be fine. It's, I don't think it's the right decision. I think they should delay it, um, put it to, to, to next year, have it coincide with the same time as the winter Olympics. I don't think it's going to be a bad thing because there are two different times of the year just lets everybody get out of this pandemic. I mean, we don't need it as a distraction as much as we would have last year. Um, last year would have been good for, for a distraction if they could do it in the bubble, but now we have other things going on. We have regular domestic leagues that are starting up because some of us are getting out of the situation like the, the, the U.S. is starting to allow uh, fans in the stadium. So we, we do have that kind of added um, bonus now. So we don't need... The, the Tokyo Olympics as, as a distraction as much as we would have previously. So I'm not the biggest fan of the Olympics. So <laughs> it's probably another, uh, another reason why I really don't, I, I, I think it can be uh, delayed another year, but that's just me. Well, and you, so would you, would you say the same thing about the euros, John? Yeah. Uh, no. but you know what uh to that renee and i i think uh i speak to john's sentiments is that you know the olympics uh like i can remember the olympics as a kid and uh you know my first experiences of uh ben johnson and soul uh you think of uh, elizabeth manley in calgary as well as the jamaican bobsled team and you know the olympics just meant something it was like such a special time as a sports fan and after hearing about $53 billion reportedly spent for the Sochi Olympics, you think of uh, the uh, despair that uh, certain uh, people, uh, a number of people, millions of people, dare I say, in Rio uh, are going through and they you know, spend so much for the uh, 2016 Olympics. Uh, I mean, Renee, uh, do, I mean, do you think the Olympics has lost its luster? Are you uh, like, do you enjoy the Olympics as uh, well, period, but do you enjoy it uh, um, as a fan as you did back in the day when you were a kid? Um, Maybe not as much as when I was a kid. I still enjoy the Olympics because again, like I said earlier, you got to love sports. Um, So I, I enjoy the Olympics. I, I don't, um, there's just so much that's fundamentally wrong though with, 
the way that the Olympics are awarded and run this like, you know, we didn't even touch on Qatar and, and the stadiums and the money and, and the atrocities that's going on there. Like, I just think uh, economically, like I agree with Dan, like the taxpayer, like taxpayers are taking massive hits all like globally for, for them to host these events. There's gotta be a better way. And, and like the, the amount of money that is just thrown around, wasted. I, I mean, I wanna see the Olympics, but I don't care if it's in a $10 billion stadium. It doesn't matter. The racetrack could be the one over here at the University of Guelph. It's still 400 meters. And it's, the money is generated, not from the, the revenue, not as much from the ticket sales, it's from the sales of the, of the, of the television rights. And you just, you can do that in every stadium that's already existing. The infrastructure is there all across the world. Spread it like, you know, we talked, you were talking about earlier, spread it out all across the country. Like Russia's a big place. The stadiums exist, it's the same with Japan and Tokyo. Like all these places exist. You have enough already there in order to broadcast it to the world and it can still look grand. And I think it's just complete, I, I love the Olympics, but it's a misguided machine, I think. Well, yeah, and Danny, uh, you know, I'd love to get your comment. I mean, I don't know if you remember uh, Montreal 1976, uh, but I mean, for somebody who had uh, the Olympics in their hometown, uh, you know, I thought that the Pan Am games in 2015 were really, really cool, but you know, we, I mean, we spent uh, a lot of money for indoor facilities. I mean, the velodrome here in Milton, I mean, it's getting a lot of great use. But uh, I mean, for somebody who actually had the Olympics in their hometown, uh, I mean, do, first of all, do you remember it? Second off, you know, and, uh, you know, I do say with all the respect in the world that it did seem that it was mismanaged, uh, you know, uh, with regards oh, to really? uh, the facilities and so on. I, I, I don't remember the Olympics. I was you don't. Uh, okay. six, six or seven years old. I don't remember. My dad actually worked on the Olympic Stadium. He was one of the thousands of construction workers who actually worked on the Olympic Stadium and some of the horror stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, guy, guys built whole chalets out of the mis, misplaced materials from, the, from that uh, <laughs> work site, you know. A $250,000 crane disappeared overnight. <laughs> Never found. You're I mean, kidding. Yeah, it was, was it mismanaged? Yeah, well, Montreal in the 70s was, you know, that's the way it was in Montreal in the 70s. So uh, the facilities, I mean, the, the velodrome was beautiful. It's now the, our biodome, which is, you know, which is great. It's, I, I've taken my kids to the biodome many times. It's fantastic. Uh, the Henri Richard Arena that's there uh, right on the corner. Um, I think they hosted junior games for years. I don't know. I'm not even sure what they do with it now. I think they had it as a testing zone during the pandemic, a testing center. Um, Tupuru was on the same block. They took a little corner. Uh, and literally, the footprint for Tupuru Stadium is really small. So, I mean, they basically have a, a corner, an upper corner of the of the Olympic Stadium uh, area. That, that That's great. Uh, the, the Olympic Village is now... Um, 
uh, what is it, what is it uh, old age homes, I guess. I mean, that's the best way to put it, I guess. Uh, that's that's what they, they use those buildings for. You know, they're crumbling, you know, cement after 50 years. What do you want? Yeah, sure. I mean, was it mismanaged? Yeah, it was mismanaged. When we went to, what are you going to do? That's what it was in the 70s. Do I want to see it again? No, I don't. Uh, do I want to see the... Would I love to see the Olympics again in Montreal? Yeah, sure. I would love to watch it and see it again. What did the whole, uh, you know, $10 billion thing? No, I'm, not, I'm okay. I, 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 no, it's okay. It's all good. You can pay for it. I don't want to deal with that bunch of cash. No, you pay the check. That's what I tell the fans. Hey, I'm sorry. It, it, it's, it's ridiculous. Like Renee was saying, yeah, the, the money's in the TV rights and and the TV and the TV operators, well, they they're gonna play your heartstrings, and they'll tell they'll tell you about some underdog kid from Azerbaijan who's gonna be you know, the champion wrestler in the ninety-seven kilo. Yeah, okay, you are, you know, it's not gonna want to watch this kid, you know, but it, 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 they have a vested interest in making sure that you you want to pay attention to it, and uh, you know, if you want to pay for it, pay for it. I don't, I don't want to pay for it. It's okay, it's cool. I'll buy a ticket if I want to go. I'll buy a ticket and I'll go watch it if it's in my hometown. Yes. That's the way I'll support it. But for me to, you know, sp spend 30 years playing off a stadium, um, I've had enough of that. I yeah, I, I personally think, and I think you guys will agree with me, that, uh, yeah, maybe we could use some expanded highways and, uh, you know, some bridges and some uh, more infrastructure and so on. But, I mean, if it means that we – this is only going to happen when we have a two-week event where the taxpayer is going to spend, uh, you know, it's going to feel the uh, brunt of it for X amount of years, then you know what – Pan Am was just fine, and uh, who who knows how much uh, more our uh, taxes have increased because of the Pan Am Games back uh, six years ago. So, um, you know, to no, that guy, one, 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 one caveat: if if they spend the money in the upgrade facilities, and they continue to use those facilities for for the purpose that they built them, that's great. I mean, if you build a soccer specific stadium or a, a training center, and you're developing players, and they're coming there, and they're and they're using the, the facilities, the purpose that they're actually built. That's great. That's cool. Sure. But if you have to turn the facility into something else so you can find some use for it, then maybe you shouldn't have spent the money to begin with. Well, you know? and, yeah, and just just to like piggyback on that, Randy, just real quickly, like you were talking about like multiple cities hosting and multiple countries hosting. Like if Toronto's hosting the Olympic Games and we don't have a velodrome or whatever, and they have one in New York City. Just go do the cycling in New York City. Like, there's just there's got to be easier ways to do these kind of things logistically without spending yeah. the big outlay of cash. And who cares if it's the Canada if it's the Canada Olympics and they go to New York to? Like, it just doesn't matter. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, I know in '76 uh, that uh, events were in Kingston, Ontario during the Montreal games in uh, Atlanta in 96, uh, there were events in Kentucky. And uh, I mean, yeah, sure, different uh, province, different state versus different country. Does it make a difference at the end of the day? No, I don't think so. You know, the uh, Milton Velodrome, that could be, that could uh, definitely host Olympic events because, I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, sure, maybe you can get 15, 20,000 people watching an Olympic event at the velodrome, but if there's a 500 uh, seat capacity, I, you know, so many more millions of people are going to be watching it at home at the end of the day. I mean, facilities are facilities and that, you know, you're not going to, uh, you're not going to need them after two weeks. Right. Especially those yeah. seats. So, 
Yeah, I think we uh, should put an application, guys, and uh, get jobs in the IOC. What do you guys think? <laughs> <laughs> uh, guys, you know, uh, this has been such a, an incredible conversation. I do want to end things off with a little segment that I like to call big deal or no big deal. Basically, I'm going to pose a question to you, and uh, you're going to tell me if it's a big deal or no big deal. So, Renee, uh, the CFL team in Edmonton has agreed to change its name from the Eskimos to the Elks. This is, of course, in light to the uh, public outcry of the insensitive nature to the term um, Eskimos. Uh, you know, considering the new team name and its new brand appeal and so on, uh, in an overall sense, is this a big deal or no big deal? Boy, I'm going to give you a really on the fence answer. I'm going to, I'm going to say <laughs> it's a big deal that they they changed the name from the Eskimos, and it's not a big deal that they changed the name to the Elks. Like uh, personally, I don't. I haven't watched one CFL game in my entire life. So, if you want the short answer for me and the insensitive answer, I would say it's no big deal because I don't watch CFL, but it's a big deal because they have to change the name from the Eskimos. That's it. Well, you know, I just think about uh, the term, uh, the uh, the team in Washington, the Redskins. If you even change the name to whatever, I mean, uh, ironically enough, a team in Washington changed its name from well, the Bullets right over here uh, to the Wizards, and uh, the amount of money uh, that fans spent on, you know, getting the new updated gear. If you change the team name from the Redskins to uh, whatever the new name is that there's going to be such an influx of uh, revenue coming from uh, fans wanting to buy uh, the new gear. I can't imagine why. Well, I mean, I know we were originally talking about Edmonton, but who cares about history? You know, I, you know, I mean, first of all, Washington is such a uh, poor name in the first place, but uh, I mean, the Eskimos is pretty close to it. Like how can you not change the name? Having said that, the Elks, I think, is a pretty stupid name. I'm not going to lie to you. Well, I had a little, we had a little discussion earlier. Like, you know, I think, like, who's kidding who? When Toronto uh, got a Major League Baseball franchise and they decided to name the, the, the Blue Jays, everybody was probably like, what? You're calling your team the Blue Jays? Like, how ridiculous does that sound? So, and now you couldn't imagine it being anything other than the Toronto Blue Jays. So, you know, 25 years from now if it's the Edmonton Elks maybe they've got a great logo and they've branded it well it sounds like a terrible name to me but maybe 25 years from now somebody will be sitting here doing another podcast saying I can't imagine that it was <laughs> anything other than the Elks it's the same it's the same as uh you know like you have a soccer team in Montreal and you call it the impact and then one day you say no no it's going to be uh CF Montreal yeah you know like why you got to do that <laughs> i'm not gonna lie i actually do like the rebrand i'm not i mean like soccer it just you're the only one no 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 but i mean like you know uh look at all these uh look at all these uh cherished football clubs in europe you know manchester united uh, uh, Leicester City. I mean, yeah, Bolton may be called the Wanderers, but I mean, Liverpool, Liverpool uh, their, their, you know, pseudo nickname is the Reds, but, you know, Toronto FC, there's no 
uh, you know, gimmicky team name like uh, like the Raptors or the Canadians or so on. Like now, it to me, the team in Montreal actually sounds like a football team, like a soccer team. I actually like it. I I think it's great. Truthfully, why do we, why do we have to be like Europe though? Why do we have to fit the mold? I mean, we'd be different. Uh, you know? Well, we do have soccer playoffs over here, so we're, we That's are true. different. Yeah, yeah. And uh, very quickly, guys, I got to show you. Uh, so we were talking about CFL football. Uh, does anybody remember this helmet? Wait a minute. Uh, yep. Gold something. Gold miners. Was it gold miners? Yeah, Las Vegas? yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm always enamored with uh, with uh, sports memorabilia, and I was like, I don't really have an allegiance to an NFL team, and uh, I was well, like, I, yeah, yeah, no, you're right, <laughs> but <laughs> I I I wanted to get a helmet, and I didn't think that there was any better team to get than the CFL's first U.S. team. I could only think of one player that was on that team, but. I can only imagine how many Canadians or people in general have a Sacramento gold miners helmet, but Hey, there it is. At what's a podcast. If you want to know uh, where I got that. So uh, John back to uh, the rapid fire here and a Suns fan, a Suns fan and a Nuggets fan got into a scrap during game four of the Western Conference semifinals. And uh, the Suns fan absolutely obliterated the Nuggets fan. And ironically enough, an all-star guard, Devin Booker from the Phoenix Suns, was looking to get the contact information of that same Suns fan. Uh, The assumption is is that uh, Devin Booker, who is the uh, all-star player for the Suns, was going to potentially reward him for uh how passionate a fan he was amongst whatever his uh, reasons may be is this a big deal or no big deal uh, this is, that, that, that takes like i'm a passionate fan of tfc but i'm not gonna beat the crap out of anybody in the stadium that supports the other team like that's the you know there's, there's a line there's a if you're beating the crap out of somebody it's not because you're a passionate fan it's because you're a violent individual um I, I don't think that kind of thing should be rewarded. So yeah, it, it's that's that's a pretty big deal and a pretty big, you know, red flag as far as I'm concerned. Anybody else want to chime in on this? Like I I, I, th- I think both of you, I think all all four of us that saw the video and uh, the Suns fan absolutely dummied that Nuggets fan. Uh, listen, I, I like I I have been to uh, stadiums where my team was the visitor and. Uh, I nowhere near got into a scrap. Now, John may disagree with that because he is of the opinion that I put his life in risk uh, when we went to a, what was it, Canada, Jamaica World Cup qualifier. And, you know, me, like I got a loud voice and maybe I had a beer or two and like I was like chirping and everything like that. But, you know, people were, they were very, very nice. Having said that, I will never be as vocal as I was, but uh, <laughs> have you guys ever got to the point where you may have gotten into a scrap at a sporting event? I, I'm just going to say, Randy, that night, I, I do joke around about it, but I mean, we were right in the heart of the Jamaican supporters section and I did not fear for my life. I mean, you know, you didn't. Yeah. Okay. No, no, no. You were vocal and they were vocal and it was all a good time. They were, they were back and forth. It was, uh, it was pretty funny. 
but it makes a better story when I say that I was in fear for my life. <laughs> well, the truth of the matter is, is that uh, I went with my cousin to a Canada St. Kitts and Nevis uh, game, and he actually said that he was starting to get a little scared. So, <laughs> truth of like end of the book. So, uh, yeah, I kind of get. It. But I mean, like uh, you know, John, you and I have been to uh, Saputo. Renee, you have to come with us when TFC is playing Montreal, and uh, yeah. Uh, Danny, I, I like to think that ghost, man. Danny, I like to think that I, you know, behave myself, you know, to a point. I don't know. You know, I, I, I don't see how uh, a traveling supporter should be fearful, as long as all they're really doing is cheering on their team and maybe a little bit of a needle to the other team, the, the other team's fans. That's cool. I mean, whatever. It's First of all, if you're traveling to my city to come watch your team play, thank you for spending your money in my city. I appreciate it. <laughs> That's cool. You get a little extra leeway when you say nasty things about my team. I won't have a problem with it. You're spending your money that you earned in my city. That's cool. That's great. You come to my stadium and you buy my beer. Well, my beer. Our beer. No problem. That's cool. Buy our overpriced hot dogs and our sausages and that's no problem. That's good. Get your porchetta sandwich for 12 bucks. That's cool. Spend your cash. You can say what you want. I mean, the, I saw the fight, and it's a little excessive. I don't know, man. Unless, unless they physic, there was a physical altercation before that. You know what? You're a bunch of idiots. I'm sorry. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go support my team by throwing some fists. Get the fuck out of here! <laughs> watch the fucking the team's on the court. Watch the game on the court. You know, no, hundred percent. Yeah, and uh, I like. I, I just, I just enjoy going to Saputo so much. Like, uh, you know, a couple of my buddies, uh, another guy who's a TFC uh, season C holder, and he has never been to Montreal for a game, and. You know, it, it's just such great atmosphere. Like, I, I mean, look, there is, I mean, there is a level of uh, decency that, you know, a visitor should have. I'm not going to be saying, you know, shit about Quebec or, um, you know, just, you know, uh, uh, talking uh, so lowly of, uh, you know, people in Montreal, Quebec and French Canadians and so on, you know, but I mean, like, you know, there is a line that, you know, is definitely visible don't cross the line you know it's supposed to be sports it's supposed to be fun have a couple of drinks you know cheer for your I, squad I, I, gotta tell you, I, I, I gotta tell you a quick story i remember one time you came to my job maybe in uh i maybe the first time you came it was in october it was uh, the last game of the season yeah it was, Drogba was on the right, yeah you were sitting right behind me and you were like I, you wanted to go to washroom we wanted to get a beer or something i don't know what it was and you were like uh you know you think i'll be okay like who, who's gonna bother you well, no, 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 no. In my defense, in my defense, I did have to go to the can and you and your brother, who are both about 6'3", 200 plus pounds, uh, both of you came because you didn't trust the Montreal fans. Like, let's call it, let's call a spade a spade here, okay? <laughs> because, uh, you know, you were like, uh, yeah, we're not going to let you go to the washroom by yourself. You did say that. Well, no, I did not. Ah, you did. Oh, you did. I swear. <laughs> I believe Dan. Get out of here. Well, no one's gonna bother you. I mean, okay. honestly, God. I mean, unless unless you, you 
every step up the the ramp, you, you you're talking shit. No one's got the. I don't know. I'll yeah. be honest. With you. I mean, uh, I I don't understand people taking sports that seriously. Yeah, cheer your team. Yes, you know, enjoy your team's victory and 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 the triumph when you beat the Maple Leafs again in seven games, and you should enjoy that. That is, that that's the great part. The, the, you know, the, are you gonna talk crap because you know they can't win a playoff series in seventeen years? May, may, once in a while, bring it up. I mean, <laughs> you don't talk about it all the time, right? <laughs> uh, hey, Randy, I, I would say getting back to your initial question on the uh, big deal or not a big deal, though. I, I gotta tell you, if I'm the Suns organization, that's a big deal. Like you got to reel your your all-star player in, like, uh, I'm sure he got the what for by the higher-ups hours after that came out, or if not minutes after. Like, how stupid can you be? What are you doing reaching out to this, uh, you know, somebody, like, that's beat up a fan? It's, it's ridiculous. And it just shows you, like, how, what a PR nightmare, I'm sure – two thirds of the players are on your team that just don't have the wherewithal to know to just be quiet. Yeah. You know, you do make a, uh, make a valid point. And uh, there is uh, there is uh, a level of cancel culture that does exist in uh, today's day and age where people have to be so vanilla, even though their voices are that much more enhanced because of social media and so on, but uh, you're promoting fighting and uh, yeah. yeah, that, doesn't appear to be uh, a good thing. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, finally, uh, former Canadians great Patrick Waugh has appeared to have amended fences with, of all people, Mario Tremblay, his former coach. Hard to believe it was 26 years ago when uh, Patrick Waugh played his final game uh, in Montreal. Of course, it was an infamous night where he let up uh, as many as nine goals in uh, a game where he a lot of people think that he should have been uh, relieved uh, a lot earlier. And of course that was the final game of his uh, storied career uh, with the Montreal Canadians. Uh, he did have uh, a, uh, some very choice words for Mario Tremblay. Apparently they didn't speak for a number of years, but recently they appeared in an Uber eats commercial and played around a golf together it seems all is well between camp wa and camp tremblay dan is this a big deal or no big deal uh, i'll be I'll, I'll i'll say only this money heals all wounds you get paid enough and all of a sudden everything's okay and it's 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 just who cares 26 years ago who cares honestly the big deal no i don't care you know, I, I can only uh, imagine, though, uh, Dan, that, uh, you know, do you think a guy like Watt, like you can only imagine uh, that night when he suited up uh, for that game against Detroit, he wasn't thinking that, you know, it was going to be his last game as a Canadian. He wasn't thinking that he wanted to leave Montreal. All of a sudden, snap of a finger, he wants out. And, yeah, sure, he won a couple of cups with Colorado, but uh, – you could only imagine that he must have wanted uh, to, like, you know, stay with the Canadians. I don't know. Like, like look, we all, we've all had bad days at work. You know, we've all had days at work, but we just go there and we just were dog shit the entire day. 
no matter what you try to do, you just can't get it done, right? You're having a terrible day. Uh, I'm not quitting my job just because I had a bad day. You know, I get up the next day, try it again, do better. It's okay. For him to say, I'm never going to play with the, for the Habs again because he had one bad game, I'm sure somewhere in the back of his mind there's a kernel. You know, there was something there, a little seed. For him to find, like, it planted, was planted there and he was contemplating a future outside of the province of Quebec. You know, he, he, Patrick was a god in Quebec, basically. Uh, maybe less so now than, than before. Uh, maybe you know, he grew tired. He couldn't go walk, walk down the street. Who knows? But for to have one dog shit game, yeah, he let up nine against Detroit. Yeah, I remember very clearly. And I was say, I'm never going to play for you guys again. Well, you know, you have the right to quit your job. No matter what your job is, you have that right. It's yours. Go ahead, do it. But I mean, if I have one bad day, I'm not quitting my job. I just, like I said, get up next day, do my job better. That's it. So I'm sure there was something there. He, he was upset with Mario Chamba before that, guaranteed. He was not happy with the direction of the team, maybe, or the direction of the, of the coaching staff. And he was like, this is not for me. I, I'm not enjoying this. And he, he grabbed onto something and he decided, you know what? Nah, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm going to go somewhere else. That's cool. You have that right. As an employee, you have that right. And basically, that's what, you know, professional sport players have that right, like every other job. You work at McDonald's, you don't like to go work at Wendy's. That's cool. You know, you don't want to work, you don't want to play Montreal. Montreal have the right, by the way, to sit them down and then say, you know what, you don't want to play for us. You're not playing, period. That's fine. You could have done that too. But I'm sure, I'm sure there was something that was growing before that incident in his mind that he was not happy with the, 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 the coaching staff and how they were going. And, uh, and uh, for them, mending fences, like I said, money heals all wounds. They got paid a boatload. Uh, Uber Eats uh, is actually quite brilliant, I think, for Quebec to have those two on, on, the, on the screen together. And I think, uh, I think after a while, you, as you grow older, you, you kind of stop hating the same things that you hated. You, you kind of grow up a little. And I think that's what's happening. The two guys probably in their sort of they're in their sixties now. Do you really hate the guy? You're both millionaires. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to, your, to your point though, Dan, I mean, I've never quit a job because I've had a bad day, but I quit a job because I had, had a shitty boss, right? So yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, uh, guys, look, uh, for me personally, uh, yeah, uh, you don't when I married uh, my wife in 2009, uh, you don't really so much marry uh, one person, but you uh, sort of marry yourself and into an entire family. And uh, with uh, at the risk of getting sentimental here, uh, you guys are my brothers, uh, Renee, John. I mean, hey, I'm, I'm trying to go for a moment and legit. All right. So, uh, you know, honestly, the amount of times that we uh, spent at BMO uh, going on vacation together, Dan, the uh, amount of times that uh, uh, being able to uh, know you and your family uh, when we do go to Montreal. Uh, I feel like I've known you guys all my life. The fact that we're able to do this podcast together, uh, you know, it, it's a real blessing. Uh, I love you all. I uh, hope you guys are doing well. And uh, hey, maybe we could get together next year for a World Cup uh, in Qatar. How does that sound? Sounds good. Great. Sounds good. <laughs> Perfect. They are cousins John Ferguson, Renee Olson, and Dan Cashati. 
I'm Randy Coure. This is What's Up the Sports Podcast on Facebook and Twitter at What's Up Podcast. And we'll talk to you next time.